0: Did you come to church this morning expecting God to speak to you? Remember, lying is sin. Did you come with a true anticipation that I am t- today? I get to hear God's voice. When you left the house, were you eager to hear God speak to you, knowing that He would? I think in theory we, we say that and we, we like to believe that, but I'm not sure if it's actually taken in our hearts sometimes. Uh, you, you think of the God of the universe. If you thought, today I get to hear him, you were going to be uh, so eager and so differently approaching the way you come to gathered service that we call worship. The last week and this week and the Next few weeks, we're going to look at why we call this a worship service. That oftentimes we use the word worship, we often just think of music or singing. But worship is far greater than that. Worship is ascribing value to God, saying, God, you are valuable. You are worthy. You are worth it. That's what worship is. It's just saying how valuable and how much of a treasure God is. So last week, we looked at prayer and how when we pray to God, it is saying, God, you are all valuable. That I I have nothing here and so I come to you, I'm praying to you because there's nothing that I can do. I, I think you're greater than I am. That's what prayer says. It is ascribing worth to God and value to God. And so this week we want to look at another part of the worship service that is worship. It ascribes worth and value to God. That is the preaching of God's word and the listening of God's word. Preaching as worship. I want you to find uh, Nehemiah in your Bibles, Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, so you go backwards from the Psalms, Psalms, Job, Esther, uh, Nehemiah, that's backwards, Um, if you're using the Pew Bible, if you forgot your own, it's uh, 476, but Nehemiah chapter 8, I want you to go ahead and find that. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. Let's hear. And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day... Of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right side. And Padiah, Mishael, Malachijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshabalam on his left side. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. As he opened it, all, all, all the people stood. And, the Lord, and, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Acab, Shabitha, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while they remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This was the preaching of God's word. Here in these few verses, we will see three characters or figures in the text this morning. We're not going to try to repeat those guys' names again. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for names for your sons, don't go here. Um, but no, we will see three characters, uh, three figures in this text. Uh, first character is the one who is listening. The second is the one who is preaching. And the third is the one who is worshipped. So first, looking at the one who is listening, you see right away in, in verse 1, all the people gathered as one man. There is a trend today because of technology of people who say, I'll just stay at home and watch YouTube or listen to sermons on the internet instead of going to church. And this is not because they uh, are unable to get out of the house for whatever reason. It's just because they don't want to. So they think, well, there's church on TV, so that's what I'll do. But here, we see the ones who are listening gathered together. And as much as then they didn't have the technology that allowed them to be absent from the uh, church gathering, um, they gathered for a purpose. And the purpose was not just to hear the word, but to encourage one another in the hearing of the word. So they gathered as one man in the square, so in the public square, so there was likely a whole bunch of them before the water gate. And then they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. And so he did that to the assembly, it says in verse 2. So there's this gathered people. And what did this people do when they gathered? Verse 3 tells us. And so Ezra read from the book of the law, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning, Until midday. These people, these listeners, were devoted. From early morning, likely sunrise, until midday, they sat under the preaching of God's word. They were thinking, I'm going to hear God's voice today. I get to hear God speak to me. I'm going to give all my time to it. So so it wasn't just a, uh, don't give me more than 20 minutes. Like people joke, like I met a preacher one time. He was proud that he only preached 10 minutes. I thought, well, what are the people here in that time? It takes me that long to say all these stupid names. Uh, But reality is, these people were so serious about what Ezra was about to do and what they were about to experience in it, they devoted themselves to the hearing of it. From early morning till midday, when Dwayne and I were in Haiti, how long the church service lasted? It was like four hours. Four hours. And these people had already walked three hours to get there, Four hours of church and we're walking three hours home with no food or water. They were devoted to the hearing of God's word being preached. And here we are in North America saying, oh, don't give me more than 20 minutes. I got Netflix to watch and I got a pot roast on. I'm thankful for the people here at West Lauren that I think don't watch the clock when I preach. But here, it's amazing to see this great example here, even in the text. The people who gathered were devoted Something else you notice about these people in verse 3, that they were attentive. It says at the end of the verse, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They weren't here just to put in time or to check a box and say, hey, I showed up to gathering. Everybody saw me there. I was good. These listeners were there with an anticipation to hear God, and so they paid attention. What What is he saying? What are the words that Ezra is using How is God that way? Who is God? How is God working? They were attentive to pay attention to that which was being preached. They weren't okay to just sit and let the time pass and consider that being hearing God's word. No, no, their hearing, their hearing was more. It was listening attentively to the word of God. So these people, they gathered, they devoted themselves, they paid attention. And then in verse 5, the listener, we are told, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. So he was up on a platform. He was up on a wooden platform so the people could hear him and see him. And it says, so he he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. They all stood. They met from sunrise sunrise. To noon, to hear the Word of God preached, and they stood. They stood because they had a respect for the word being spoken to them. It was out of respect that they stood. You, you don't just sit down when someone of great honor walks by you, even, even it is rude when someone goes to introduce themselves and you stay sitting down. We know just naturally to stand up and shake your hand. So these people stood when the word of God was preached. As a sign of respect. But also, you'll, you'll note practically, it would help their attentiveness. There is no falling asleep while you are standing. And so it would help them to be attentive. Uh, they're going to be trying to focus because they want to get their mind off their legs that might hurt or their whatever their stomachs that might be hungry. It was helping them to be attentive. And it was helping them to show their respect for the very thing that they were experiencing. They were not just experiencing words. They were not just experiencing uh, Ezra just. Um, saying things to them of his own mind, they anticipated and they expected to hear God speak to them. So they stood in respect of God's holy word. It's amazing in in different cultures and even different religions, the respect they have for their book, their holy book, even as much as it's just paper. um, They sometimes worship the book. I went to a Sikh temple the one time, and their, their holy book had its own bedroom in the temple. It had a big fluffy bed with all this frilly lace all around it. And, and they so respected the book, they didn't want a drop of dust to fall on it. So they had a horsehair brush that they would wave over it constantly. So it would collect all the dust. So not a single drop of dust would get on the book. They respected it. When you sat, there was no pews. You had to sit on the floor, but you could not aim your feet towards the book because that's disrespectful. So, the way you sat, you had to aim your feet away. They respected their book because in it they believed that this was something divine speaking to them. Or, Muslims, in, in the center of their home, at the highest place, is lifted up their Quran. You walk into a devout Muslim home, you will see the Quran at the highest place in the room. They honor it. They would never set it on the floor, they would never slam it down, they would never let it just be dropped or forgotten. It is the highest place to them. And here, we have how many Bibles? We throw them on the floor, throw them in the back seat of the car, forget where they are. It's crazy. But we don't trust in this book. My book is no better than your book. But what does it show about the Word of God? Sometimes the the respect or, or disrespect we may have for the very Word of God. It's more than just how we treat this book physically. It's how do we treat it when it is opened. How do we treat it when it is preached or or spoken? How do we treat it? Do we treat it with respect so that we are not only gathering with anticipation, devoted to any length of time, we don't put a time cap on God's word, and paying attention to it, to listen attentively so that we could almost even repeat something we heard? And then respectfully listening, knowing that we ought to stand in awe. So part of that respect and standing would have been utter silence, I'm sure of it. Just to listen to the word of God being spoken to them. They gathered expecting God to speak. That is the listener of God's word. And there you see even how the listening of the preaching of God's word is worship. You are ascribing time to God. You say, this is your time. Doesn't matter how long it takes. I want to hear from you. I am going to gather. I'm not going to skip out because I got some sporting event. I want to to hear you speak. I'm going to give that to you because I believe you will speak to me. It is paying attention. It is giving him enough respect and saying, you are worth my intellect. You are worth my gears turning. You are worth me listening really hard so that I can hear from you. You are worth my respect, even if it means I stand. You are worth that, God. So the listening of God's word being preached is worship. Jesus says, take care how you hear in Luke. It care how you hear. He says in John chapter eight, "Why do you not understand what I say?" It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Some of the people there said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we want to hear you." And then, as he started to speak, they couldn't bear it. Eh, never mind. It was nothing to them; it just rolled off their back. They didn't really pay attention to it. First, so the first thing, person and character we saw was the listener of God's word. The second is the one who is preaching. Here in this example, it is Ezra. Ezra the scribe or Ezra the priest. He's described as both in this passage. So we look back to, well, what are these people listening to? What are they paying attention to? Is it just because Ezra sounds really good and his voice is nice and he's, he's really poetic and he makes sentences flow really well? Is, is that likely why they paid attention? Well, no. No. It says that they paid attention to the book. It is the task of the preacher then to open the book. Verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. He opened the book. That is, for him, that was the Old Testament. How how many of us could stand listening to the Old Testament for 20 minutes, let alone half a day? All, most of us, as you as you know, you read through the first five books of the Bible, you're listening to Numbers and you're thinking. Whoa, I don't know if I can handle 10 minutes of all these numbers. But yet, they knew that God was speaking something. Whether it was about God's precision, God's care, God's mercy, what God has done, how God will work in the future. They they were paying attention to every word that Ezra said because it wasn't his words. Even if he would have had filler words like I have filler words, it is the word of God that is being drawn out, went through, and explained. That's what Ezra was doing. And so he opened up the book. Not his own thought, not some book of culture, not the newspaper, not the latest movie. That's a trend today in a lot of churches. Ezra opened the book. And that is why the people paid attention. Because the book had authority. And so Ezra not only opened the book, but other men who were there, that crazy list in verse 7 These other men, in verse 7, says the Levites, that's what they were, they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book that is from the law of God. They helped them to understand by reading it. And how did they do it? I love this. So look at verse 7 closely with your eyes. So it says, all these men... Helped the people to understand the law while they remained in their places. Verse eight. They read from the book, from the law of God, and here's how they did it. Clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It, it was clear. They brought clarity. If there was words that didn't make sense or concepts that were hard, they brought clarity to it. They explained it. They didn't just read it, close it, and sit down and say that was good. They, they brought clarity to it. They made sure that it was understandable to the common people. Maybe many of those people here couldn't have read. And so they would have made sure it was clear to them. Those who had a lower intellect level. They made sure it was clear. Do you get it? Do you get it? I love uh, Matt Chandler. He would always say, are you tracking with me when he's preaching? So much so that uh, people at Chick-fil-A would say, are you tracking with me, Matt? Because they knew that that's what he said all day long in his preaching. Because he wants to make sure that the people get it, that it's clear to them. So that's what they did. Ezra and these other men made sure the book was read from and that it was clear to them. And then it says, in the halfway through verse 8, they gave the sense. That is, they, they showed what it meant. Not even just like, do you understand these words? Do you understand these concepts? But they gave the sense. Like, here's what it actually means. These words mean something to you, and here's what they should mean to you, here's how you should uh, take them on your own heart and your life. Here's how you ought to apply them to yourself. This is what it means that they gave the sense. And then it says, it says even down further in verse 13, the way they did this was in order to study the words of the law. They studied. And it's so that, at the end of verse 8, The people understood the reading. It is useless to have a a great poetic uh, speech or a lecture full of all knowledge and people not understand it. That is useless. That is not valuable preaching that is going to bring worth and glory to God. Because people won't understand the God whom they're supposed to worship as a result. So they gave the sense and studied the text so that it was clear. Reading the book piece by piece by piece and clarifying statements, helping the people to grasp what it meant and how it applies to their life. What's amazing is when this happened, the people got it. They got it. Um, They understood and they responded. So there is always going to be a response of the hearer, the one who's listening. The hearer is going to respond in one of two ways. Hebrews tells us one way. Hebrews chapter 5 says this, So they were saying, about this, so about Jesus, his priesthood, his suffering, his obedience. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. He says, "But since you have become dull of hearing, for though at this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. He says, you need milk, not spiritual food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the word is either going to fall on dull deaf ears, people who don't care, aren't listening. They are because of that and they they don't take the time to hear God's word, study God's word, they stay immature. They stay children. It's like trying to read Shakespeare to a one-year-old. It would be falling on deaf ears. They'd say, get me a picture book. It's the same thing with a lot of people in church. Because they are not expecting and and listening attentively to hear what God is saying. To to say, what is he saying to me? Do I hear his voice? Am I able to recognize it? Because of that, so many times you callous yourself and say, "Ah, yeah, it's just words. I'll put in my time. And here in Hebrews, there's this this rebuke that says, you're children. You are like so immature, you can't even hear the hard things of God. It would be great if we could open up the text and talk about the Trinity and talk about the incomprehensibility of God. But he says, you can't handle it. You're so immature in your hearing. But the way we become mature in our hearing is by doing what these people before Ezra did. Half a day they listened to the Word of God attentively. They studied it. They made sure that they understood it. So the Word of God is to produce something in us. It's to produce something. Firstly, it produces a faith in the work of Jesus. When we hear the Gospel preached to us, when you hear that you have sinned against God Almighty, and that you deserve a punishment for that sin, your, your heart already tells you that you've sinned against God and there's, there's something wrong with you, that there's, there is a guilt in you and you don't know why that you have this sense of conscience. Your heart tells you that, but then the word of God affirms it and says it's because you've sinned against God. But then you hear this and you hear that that sin is rebellion against God, that you've gone right in the face of God. But Jesus, the righteous one, stands in your place. He says, I'll, I'll take that sin, I'll take that account, I'll take that guilt, I'll take that shame, and I'll, I'll be punished for it. When you hear that he was suffered, he died, he was buried, and then he rose victorious. When you hear that, the response of a person who's, who has ears to hear and whose heart is attentive, who God is at work in, their response is to trust him. To trust him. Say, I, I believe. I believe that. They say in their heart and they tell others, they confess with their lips that they believe in Jesus. That you see that you can't trust in yourself, you can't trust in religion, you can't trust in good works. You have to trust in Christ alone. There's a response to the word of God. When you heard the word of God preached to you, you have responded. And you are called to respond. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. He's calling you to respond. And so then when we do repent and believe the gospel, when we do realize that we're sinners and God has saved us through Jesus alone by just saying, I trust. I trust. Then the word of God produces fruit so that we may grow. He does it through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you'll, you'll recognize it. It's well known. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's all breathed out by God. So it's his voice. And it's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete or mature, equipped for every good work. This is why the preacher's job is not to entertain. It's not to entertain. It's not to tickle ears and tell people what they want to hear or what makes them feel good all the time. Tell people that they're basically good that the world's bad and you're good in here, so let's just keep doing what we're doing. That's not the job. The job is to open the text, read what it says, and and give the sense. If God is showing that there is judgment on idolatry on idolatrous hearts, then we're going to say that. And maybe God, be gracious, he would expose idolatry in us. We might be trained. We might be corrected. We might be trained in righteousness. That's what we want. We don't just want to come and say, yeah, I already know that I'm a good person. Tell me again. You can go elsewhere to get that. It's not where you come to the Word of God being preached. You come to the Word of God to hear what God says. Encouraging or exhorting. You come and you stand before the Word. And, and you hear it. That is clear to you. The concept is grasped by you. And is understood and applied to you. That's what we call expositional preaching. Which I think is worship. When God's Word is taken verse by verse. Read. Um, given the clarity, given the sense so that it's understood and applied. That is what is defined as expositional preaching. Alistair Begg says that expository preaching begins with the text of Scripture. It starts with God and is in itself an act of worship. For it is the declaration of the mighty acts of God. It establishes the focus of the people upon God and His glory before any consideration of man. And his need. In the beginning, we, are, uh, we affirm the place of preaching, not on the grounds of personal interest, but because it pleases God. That's why these people gathered to hear Ezra preach for half a day, because it pleased God. Because first of all, it is the declaration of what, who God is and what he has done, not mainly about what you need, how you're going to have a better marriage, or how you're going to fix your money problems. That wasn't what preaching was about. Preaching was about how great God is. And that you might come and see God as all valuable. And the more you treasure him, the more your money problems won't matter to you. And your marriage problems will begin to uh, resolve because you're not so focused on yourself. You're focused on your great God. And that's not to say that all marriage problems and all money problems go away when you focus on God. They, they don't. Um, but what it is to say is that your contentment changes. That you're not so discontent in those things that are failing. You're more content in the God who never fails. Because you've heard him you've heard Him and you've listened to Him and you've come to Him. That's what preaching is about. So Alistair Beggie says that, the declar- that it is the declaration of the mighty acts of God. So what is it then the preacher is to say? Is he to say uh, a good joke every time? Is he to make sure that you know the latest headlines or that you know the greatest quotes from the newest movie? Is that what he is to say? Well, no. He is to, from the book, say who God is. And what he has done. Nehemiah chapter 9 shows us, as there's this example, if, if you want to keep reading when you go home this afternoon, read uh, chapter 9. You'll see this great example of Ezra uh, preaching and, and telling them. And so he tells them not only who God is, but what he has done. Here's a great example of verses 17, 18, and 19. It says, uh, he's speaking of the people uh, in, in Egypt. He says, they refused to obey. And we're not mindful of the wonders that you performed. He says. But here's who he says God is. You are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. He's just showing the people who God is and what he does. The Bible does that on every page. Who God is and what he does. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He's a God of love. Well what did he do? That he gave his only son. So that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. That's something God has done because of God, who God is. That's what the Bible is to us. It is the word of God open to us and exposing our hearts and encouraging our hearts. So then, not only do we see in this passage the character of the one who is listening, the one who is preaching, but we see the one who is worshipped. Look at verse 3. It says, "...and they stood up out of respect." For God. And in, in, the, uh, in their place. And they read from the book of the law. Of the Lord their God. So they recognize his authority. So they respect him. They recognize his authority. And they did it for a quarter of a day. So they were devoted to him. And for another quarter of the day. They made confession. And worshipped the Lord their God. Amazing. Sorry, that was chapter 9, verse 3, not um, 8, 3. Chapter 8, verse 6, though, says this, And Ezra blessed, or he praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Or like, truly, truly, or we agree, we agree. That God is to be praised. This is the great God. So they lifted up their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground, at the preaching of God's word at the preaching because God was speaking to them they trembled before him and worshiped him this is the great god whom they heard whom they've heard about and who they've heard from the whole reason for preaching is worship it is not for information it is not for a good chat it's not for a putting in time it's worship from start to finish, it lifts up before the people the infinite worth of God. That's why we preach. That's why we're, as Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel because it lifts up the infinite worth of God. This is the God who is worshiped. So then, listening is worship. Listening attentively to the preaching of God's word is worship. As the word is preached and heard and listened to, we are recognizing before God that he deserves our time and attention. We're giving him value. We're ascribing to him worth. We listen attentively. It tells that we trust him to speak to us. And that we believe what he says. And it shows that we believe that all of this is good for us. And so it is ascribing worth to God. We're coming and humbling ourselves before God. Listening is worship Preaching is worship because it just says what God has, says, has already said and applies it to the people. It exalts God. It, it, it humbles the sinner because uh, it, it's amazing the way preaching works. I don't know how many times that you have said to me, oh, I feel like you were speaking just to me, or, or you must have known exactly what I was thinking, or you knew exactly what I needed. You said the right words to me. And that's where there is always my response is, God knew exactly what you needed to hear. And that's the amazing thing, right? It can go through a simple passage, simple words, simple explanation, but yet God has spoken to you differently than he's spoken to the person behind you and the person beside you. The the opening up of God's word is so miraculous, and it humbles us because so personally God is speaking to us. He's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me as we pay attention to him. But sometimes he speaks to us not just in encouraging things but in hard-to-hear things. The word of God offends us. It exposes us. Preaching that never offends you is likely not doing justice to the text because the truth hurts. When we are not living a certain way and the truth is said to us directly, it hurts, it stings. And God speaks that way because he loves us. He doesn't want us to live that way. Preaching makes much of Jesus It makes much of Jesus. It exalts him. It it retells his life, his death, and resurrection. It shows you Jesus from start to finish. And then it shows you how to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that you might again bring glory to him. The last thing preaching does is it produces obedience. It produces obedience. In chapter 8, you can look down further at verse 14. So, this is what they were learning, this is what they were hearing Ezra preach, and you'll see how they responded. It says, And they found it written in the in the law of the Lord uh, that he had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem, go to the hills and bring branches of olives, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees, and make booths, as it is written. So, because they heard this, because Ezra has just Opened that text up to them and showed them that's exactly what God said. What do they do? Well, it says, So they went out and they brought with them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. When they heard that God had said, You should make a booth because it is, it, it ascribes worth to me, just that, that's a place for you to worship me, they said, All right, we're going to make them everywhere. They, they heard what God had said, and they responded in obedience. They became doers of the word. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. If you only hear the word of God and you never do anything, you're, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. Just like when we hear a gospel presentation, when you hear maybe, I don't know how many times it took you and your deaf ears to hear someone say, Jesus loves you, and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times did it take for you to hear that Jesus actually loves you and that He died for you and that you have to do something like believe? How many times did it take that you were not a doer of the word, but you were deceived? You thought, yeah, that's that's a good word, but it's not for me, or I'm not good enough, or I haven't got there yet, or there's more time. How many times have we been deceived because of our own uh, fleshly desires? But we're to be doers of the word. And we only can do that when we are active listeners. When you're actively listening, attentively listening to the word of God, we can only uh, respond as doers when we actively listen. This is, listening to the preaching of God's word is not like watching TV or listening to music. This is engaged. You're engaged, you're attentive, you're listening. Okay, what is God saying? What does he mean? How does it apply to my family? How does it apply to my kids? How am I to be uh, moved by this? How am I to respond in worship to this? How am I to sacrifice in this? That's how we're to be listening to the Word of God as it is preached. So preaching is worship as we are attentive in our listening to it. Therefore, since preaching is worship, Psalm 95 tells us, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. It doesn't say When you hear God, you hear His voice, just just let it stir a bit. Just wait, you know, figure it out. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear God say something to you, act on it. If you hear God say, you need to obey, then obey. Don't delay obedience. Don't delay repentance. That is, confessing your sin, turning to Jesus again and again and again. Don't ever delay repentance. It's not that God will bar you from heaven. He won't. If you believe in him and you trust in his son, he's not going to bar you because you forgot to repent of something. But don't delay because you know what repentance does? It worships God. It says, You are worth me confessing my brokenness to you, my sinfulness to you, and you died on the cross so that I would not live this way. I need to bring this to you, God. I need to be made right for this. So we don't delay obedience. We don't delay repentance. Today, it says, if he speaks to you, if he has given you ears to hear, then you respond. What are we to do instead, rather than hardening our hearts, we allow our hearts to be softened, able to be shaped by God as he speaks to you weekly, and as he gives you ears to hear his voice. And then when we leave the place of gathered worship, we become doers of the word, because we have gathered, we've devoted ourselves to hearing, we've paid attention, and we have worshipped. We have worshipped as we hear the word of God. And so, even this morning, as you just hear simply about the uh, the task of and the act of preaching and listening, we also understand that that is because Jesus is lifted up in all of the texts. It is we are built to anticipate how great God is and what He has done. Do you know it, and have you responded to it, and do you believe it? And so, then let us be people who worship God, not just in prayer. But in preaching, as we give God the place and the time and the attention and the respect that he deserves, we say, God, you're worth it. You're worth it. Speak to me, God. I'm listening. Let's pray. Oh, God, your thoughts are not our thoughts. So as we often hear your word, we need your help we need your help to, to take your word, to, to have it planted down deep in us so that it might transform us, God. When, when your word is opened and preached and explained and, and clarified, it is you speaking to us. You desire for us to hear about you. You have a care and concern for us as we hear the word. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're not just a God who started things and took off, but you are a God concerned with us hearing from you, with us knowing about you, with us being content and and satisfied in you. So God, thank you so much for your word, that in it you speak. So God, would you help us? Would you forgive us when we approach your word lightly? When we don't listen, when we don't anticipate, when we don't expect to hear you? God, forgive us. And help us to have attentive ears, respectful hearts as we open up your word and it is uh, explained to us. Help us to pay attention and then be doers of it. So, not to just bring you glory in listening, but to bring you glory in doing. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that week after week we get to open up your word and see what is important to you. See obedience is important to you. And above all, to see mostly that you would satisfy our souls with Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for all that he has done for us, that he died in our place. So that we might live for him. So teach us, oh God. Teach us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.